Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to American Liberties, the Wednesday night call. It is November 2nd. And tonight again, we're going to talk about... Uh, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about what Dave Maryland wants to talk about because he's a guest speaker and the uh, and and pre- pretty much about the only guest speaker that uh, that really has something to say. You know, pe- people ask, "Why don't I have others?" and uh, and I I would entertain having others from time to time, but and I would have a special call for that time, maybe on a Tuesday or Thursday night. But um, I'd like to leave Wednesday night for Dave. As long as he's willing to do it, I'm willing to have him. Uh, because because what he has to say really means so much to me. Um, the Ten years ago when I first was introduced to him, uh, I got his posture right away. I mean, it hit home. And um, it wasn't like, you know, I'm defending myself against charges, against um, claims. You know, well, wait a minute. Here is what I believe. And if you can't, you know, give me the proper interpretation, if my interpretation is wrong, then tell me. Give me the interpretation. I have a right to know. I have a right to know the law because this is the way that I'm interpreting the law. And and if you can't give me the interpretation, then you must be committing the crimes, not me. And and it goes a little bit more depth and detail than that, but that's basically the overall uh, posture that I got and uh, or, or that I picked up right right away and. Then, you know, he was uh, he had filed a criminal complaint to Congress, which which I joined, and I and I had the opportunity, and I mean that quote opportunity unquote because it was it was an opportunity for me to go before a grand jury, and give my interpretation, show them the criminal complaint that I that I had joined that. Because I joined it, it becomes my criminal complaint, authored by David Merlin. But still in all, I gave them the interpretation of the code that the IRS is not willing to even talk about it. And I haven't heard from the grand jury now for 10 years. And uh, and now with the recent political spectrum you see out there, the the uh, the you know what's going on and all the activity of the criminal activity is going on i think we ought to pick pick up again and start you know may maybe sent resending our joiners in re revisiting our senators and congressmen and police and sheriffs and so forth and start making a noise why should Black Lives Matter, which is totally uh, frivolous, but, you know, for the sake of discussion, why should they get the attention when they don't have anything to back their complaints up with? I mean, you know, why should these all these other groups, you know, that, that really don't have any substance to their complaint, um, get all the attention when us, the people on this call, that have a valid, a valid complaint, and um, and valid concerns, the the crimes that are going on within the IRS and within the uh, departments of government, the judicial uh, section, and so forth, 
are just ignoring the law. We should be making noise. And and we should have hundreds of people marching up and down the street making noise. Why not? Why not? I mean, what's going on here? And so we got to stand up. If we're Americans, we got to fight and start standing up. Now, recently, we talked and you saw a letter about the uh, Franchise Tax Board in Section 83. I've had several calls. Hey, I want to know more about it. Well, I can't tell you more about it. I saw the letter just as you did. I heard about the letter the same as you did and um, and so forth. So, uh, but maybe Dave will talk about it tonight, but Don Gron is the one that that orchestrated that result. And so with that being said, I'm going to uh, go ahead and mute myself out and turn this over to Dave Marilyn. And again, you know, we're going to be repetitious, I, I suppose. So, you know, if you want to learn, stay on, get that repetition, hear this over and over and over and over again until you get it, okay? Get it in your bones, get it in your heart, get it in your blood, because it means something, all right? So anyhow, Dave, are you on the line? I think so. Okay, take it away, please. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday night, November 2nd, 2016, American Liberties Call. My name is David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. The letter Chris was referring to is a letter from the California Franchise Tax Board that said, uh, sorry to bother you uh, for the tax return the way we did. Uh, Forget it. You don't have a duty to file a tax return for 2013. No further action is required on your part. Hallelujah. I'm going to tie into the uh, interface with the American Liberties Communications Satellite and see if I can load that on the web for you. Uh, Let's see here. I I wasn't planning on doing that. Chris just kind of mention that off the cuff and I'm going to try to find that uh that letter for you here real quick and I can find it Dave if 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 you want and put it someplace where they can get it uh that's okay hang in there um let's see California Franchise Tax Board response not required Um, does everybody know Chris Chapman's email address? AmericanLiberties.llc at gmail.com. AmericanLiberties.llc at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, I can't locate it very quickly here, Chris. Uh, you can either email Chris for it. Uh, he said he could put it somewhere where you can find it. I don't know what that means. Well, I just I, I can just email him the letter if they're going to e- email me for it. No, here we got it. I got it. Okay. And I'm loading it onto the web. And stand by for the uh, for the name of the file, everybody. It's weavygov.com. wevgov.com slash CAFTB for California Franchise Tax Board. All lowercase, no spaces. wevgov.com slash CAF as in Frank, T as in Tom, B as in Blabbermouth. CAFTB.pdf. Got it covered. Wasn't easy. And um, it's uh, it's about tax or uh, California Code Section one seven zero eight one, 
which says that a very particular subchapter of the Internal Revenue Code is adopted into state law, and that particular subchapter, like uh, Section 71 through 90, I can't remember, uh, says that uh, it includes Section 83 is what it does. It makes Section 83 of the tax code state law. And I'm the only one that knows how to comply with California Code Section 17081. And when Don Gron hit the California Franchise Tax Board with that uh, query in response to a request for a tax return, they mailed that letter back to, well, never mind, it's not that important. See you later. You don't have to take any further action. Uh, thank you, Servant Breath. Appreciate that. And I'm going to read the letter here very quickly to you. It's a short paragraph. After reviewing your correspondence dated May 31st of 2016, in response to the demand for tax return letter, it has been determined that you do not have a filing requirement for this tax year in the state of California. No further action is needed from you at this time. How about, how did you do that? How I did it by code pleading, which brings me to a topic I really wanted to mention prominently here on the call. Which the topic is how the movement, the quote-unquote movement, that which does not move, keeps everybody in a state of ignorance to a large degree that's unjustified. There's no reason you shouldn't know how to write a motion. There's no reason uh, for not knowing how to format your document so that it looks professional. And there's no reason for not knowing a couple of valuable arguments, even though it's code pleading and you may, if you're in the movement, want to stay out of code pleading, you're going to be forced to at some point in time when the government comes after you. Hey, where's your tax return? What do you mean tax return? How did Section 83 operate in your conclusion? I have gross income and therefore a requirement to file a tax return. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to just leave the government stymied right there using a statute that they're supposed to know all about. Uh, to me, that's so much more attractive than having to say, I'm sui juris to the third power, sovereign man upon the land, hear ye, hear ye. I didn't wear white after Labor Day. I didn't register to vote and waive all my rights. All these other great excuses they use for, well, you lost, uh, you pleaded into their jurisdiction. Wrong. And you have to point out to the government how they're misenforcing the law. Because they're not going to listen to anything else. And it's it's damn tough to get them to even listen to this. But when you're armed with statutes that they're violating to speak with you, then it puts you on the offense. And there's simply no reason for as long as my work has been out there uh, since 1993 and a half, I've had courses for sale. That's uh, approximately 23 and a half years. Um, there's simply no excuse to not have better-looking letters uh, than you would write without my materials. Uh, better statutory arguments, a better understanding of code pleading. It's all I use. Uh, Somebody today told me on a phone call that a notice of deficiency from the IRS, which is your ticket to tax court, it has to be signed under penalties of perjury by, by an IRS uh, agent, officer, or employee. I said, I've never seen a signed notice of deficiency. Find me a case that says a notice of deficiency has to be signed. Other than that, uh, you're shooting from the hip with a, with a presumption that it has to be signed. I don't want a presumption. I want a circuit court judge telling them, you have to sign this under penalties of perjury. And I don't think that's the case. I've never seen one that's been signed under penalties of perjury. So um, there's simply a, a ton of arguments out there that uh, are splitting hairs, even if they're a somewhat valid approach compared to... Um, the argument that you've been deprived of Section 83, 
uh, you're splitting hairs when you go on procedural arguments instead of uh, statutory arguments. So um, uh, for all the people that don't yet have my courses, my letters look better. My arguments are stronger because it's the language of the law you have to disagree with. Instead of just Dave, you have to disagree with. So um, tell, tell the people out there that they simply have to get my courses. Uh, Warrior. Warrior has a bunch of my stuff. Um, Don is Western Washington State. Uh, he's got everything I've done. And uh, Christopher J, he has some of my stuff. And they'll tell you that uh, there's really nothing else out there. When you, when you look at what I'm able to do using just the tax code, anything the IRS does, I can just spin them around going, you did this wrong and this wrong. What were you thinking? And uh, by the way, uh, two weeks ago, there was a response filed in a tax court case that I'm handling where the government said, we agree with that paragraph of the tax court petition and that uh, if you went to my youtube channel you go to wevgov.com enter the website and at the top left menu column you'll see a link that says youtube 2 click on youtube 2 and watch the video uh, the uh, tutorial about tax code section 83 and you'll see the decision of Talmadge versus Commissioner, 1995, decided, I think it was like uh, March 20th of uh, 96. There's a paragraph in there where they get into Section 83 superficially. They don't discuss the language of the regulations at all. So they're not interpreting Section 83. They're just referring to it. And they say that... Uh, you didn't buy your labor before you sold it, so everything you receive for your labor is a profit, and therefore taxable is gross income. You don't have a cost in your labor. And that leads to the question, how did Section 83 operate, or excuse me, where's your authority to exclude labor for any reason, especially that reason, from the definition of amount paid? under 26 CFR 1.83-3G that defines the amount paid as the value of any money or property paid. Any means all of it. Where's your authority to pick out and choose which property is and is not an amount paid or a cost? Because Section 83 says only the excess over the amount paid is gross income. And they won't tell you. They'll penalize you for asking. And now I've got all that. There's about 50 cases that say any means everything. And it starts with four Supreme Court cases that the government won saying that the term any means everything unless the law provides for an exclusion of some property. Any property means all property. Checkmate. And a couple weeks ago, the IRS commissioner filed a response in this tax court case agreeing with that decision. So now it's a 2016 uh, argument Tw spanning 20 years with one sentence they said we agree with that argument. The argument that since you didn't buy your labor before you sold it everything you get when you sell your labor is a profit. So now it's brand new, it's fresh, it's 2016, and that's still the only standard they use to get out of the Section 83 argument. And so the, um, the claim by somebody who hasn't even looked at my work, they just said, oh, 1.83-3E excludes money from the definition of uh, property transferred in connection with the performance of services. I told him, well, you're the best tax attorney in the world. The government hasn't even thought of that one yet, and they've had 23 years to do it. I cite 1.83-3E and F when I say 
Section 83 applies to all property transferred in connection with the performance of services. And the government's never contradicted me. That's not good enough for some idiot out there that says, this disproves your argument. Well, you better go get a job at the DOJ. They need you. Uh, The IRS is just dying to hear from you because you're the best. You're better than all their attorneys that never contradict me on that. So uh, you're you're so much better off once you have my courses. I can't tell you. And now we got a 2016 concurrence with the Talmadge decision from 1996, which is the only time the government has gone on record with an attempt to explain why the Section 83 argument is invalid. And now I've got all those cases about the term any or any property to uh, blow their reasoning out of the water. It's such a sweet story. Uh, That was kind of exciting news. And uh, pretty soon I'm going to be in the the business of uh, challenging existing tax convictions because uh, you got the tax. And this is all on the federal income taxation page of wevgov.com. Get into the website. Um, Illinois asks, is that the quest of the case? Uh, I don't know if it says uh, March of 1996 for the decision. Yes, that's the case. Tax court docket number 339-95. Look at that. After 20 years, I recall the docket number of tax court. So um, the... uh, the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, you have a right to a clear explanation of the laws. And uh, that will include Section 83, and the government can't provide it. So you go on, scroll down the uh, federal income taxation page of wevgov.com, and you've got the, um, the Kreitzer annotation where the law is vague or highly debatable, the defendant lacks the requisite intent to violate it. And when they can't discuss relevant statutes, how is the law not vague or highly debatable when the government can't even provide an interpretation of it? Hey, Chris, why don't you unblock Don Gron for a quick comment? Hello, Don. Hello. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, I'm up here in in sunny Seattle. And yeah, you mentioned the Taxpayer Bill of Rights and and also the California Franchise Tax Board. uh, And uh, also, uh, I got some of the Department of the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries here. Uh, We've been fighting them on another case here for a janitorial service. And it looks like uh, after all that's going on, they've been trying to hit them real hard. They put everything into abeyance. They have an order of abeyance and say everything's going to hold. And it looks like uh, we've got them on the ropes, too. So we're, we're hitting uh, different targets. And on the Bill of Rights for the IRS now, um, I've worked that little paper that the IRS put out in 2014, the 10 rights, turned that into a contract on one page. And now I've also included two pages of memorandum of law to back it up and showing that uh, not only the taxpayer Bill of Rights uh, was has become the cornerstone of the document of the, to provide the tax taxpayers a better understanding of their fundamental rights and, and things. But now in 2015, it's been uh, uh, placed by the Congress into the Internal Revenue Code under Section 7803A3. So these 10 rights are now code. You aware of that, Dave? Nope. Yep. They're now, now code, they're code section. And it's interesting there. So, uh, but the, of course, yeah, the first right is the right to be informed. And I go on to explain in the, in the memorandum of law here. Uh, actually, just, all I did is just quote the whole thing. Uh, quote the first and the end about the right to be informed. And I've also highlighted the one about number four, the right to challenge the IRS's position and be heard. 
where the taxpayers have the right to raise objections and provide additional documentation in response to formal IRS actions or proposed actions. And we can expect the IRS will consider our timely objections and documentation promptly and fairly. And we should receive a response if the IRS and does not agree with the position. And I'm also submitting this under Title 31 CFR uh, 027, which is about uh, official uh, inquiry and their uh, need in the Treasury Department to money and finances, Title 31, the Treasury, be cooperative with official inquiries, which says that uh, employees shall respond to questions truthfully and under oath when required, whether orally or in writing, and must provide documents or other materials concerning matters of official interest. Uh, and that's that's that, 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 that's that section. So I put that uh, as my thing. This is an official inquiry, and I think I'm expecting to get some answers. And they can't just say it's a frivolous without giving some substantiation. And then I um, what, and also, what's that code section again? Oh, it's a new code section added uh, last year. Uh, IRS Code Title Twenty Six Seven Eight O Three A Three, and it's sort of interesting. It's a, but is that Section Seventy Eight O One A Three? It's the uh, let's see here. Where is it at here? Oh, that's one. Also, on page three, I have a Taxpayer Bill of Rights and Hats Act of Two Thousand Fifteen, proposed last year. As the Senate Bill 1578 amend the Internal Revenue Code with respect to taxpayer rights, and it's a nice bill that adds to those 10 Bill of Rights. It's about uh, 15 different points, and uh, and then the, quoting the uh, Restructuring Reform Act of 1998 to expand that and amend it to uh, require the termination, the termination of any IRS employee for performing, delaying, or failing to perform parenthesis, or threatening to perform a delay or fail to perform, in parenthesis, any official action, including an audit, for the purposes of personal gain or political purpose, and uh, other things there. So it directs the IRS to maintain a program that provides free uh, tax and electronic filing services and other things, but it's quite strong. And then I've uh, highlighted the section 7803, which has been... Uh, from way back when, a section that is about the commissioner of the Internal Revenue and other officials. I'm talking in Part A about the commissioner who has an appointment uh, under the Treasury uh, Department of the Treasury, and who's and he's appointed by the president, or the consent of the Senate, and then he has some duties in Part Two, A A One, A Two duties. He has to administer, manage, conduct, direct, and supervise the execution and application of internal revenue laws. And uh, that's his thing. And number three, 7803, uh, section three, is the execution of duties in accordance with taxpayer rights. That's where your 10 rights are listed there. And, and then number four, consultation with the board. Uh, uh, commissioners shall consult with the oversight board on all matters in, in these paragraphs. And so I'm making a FOIA request here. And I'm asking for number one, to send a copy of the appointment of the current IRS commissioner in the Department of the U.S. Treasury. So I'm looking for a copy of his appointment. And I'm not sure, is it Commissioner Dave, the commissioner uh, appointed by the director of the Treasury? Uh, I don't yes. have time to get into that statute right now, uh, Don. Okay, okay. 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 Anyway, and I'll, I'll wrap it up in another 30 seconds here. And I want a copy of the commissioner's supervisory execution application of Section 83 and other internal revenue laws, which are different than income tax laws, like 6201, 6203, 6301, 6601, 6601, 6651, in relation to, uh, and in light of Section 7806B, it says that there's, these laws have no, these writings have no inference or implication as being real law. And then I have also send a copy of the duties of the employees they have to ensure and act in accordance with these taxpayer rights. And then number four, send the first and most recent consultations that the uh, commissioner has with the oversight board regarding the taxpayer bill of rights. So I have that uh, all done up in a four-pager now. So, and that's just hot off my press, so I feel pretty good about it. So 
I, but I better have your comments on it because it's just uh, hot off my little brain there. Oh, well, plus they have a, one thing here that the uh, for the IRS uh, commissioner, uh, you're aware that he came on in the into the Congress in, um, in uh, September 10th, 19, 2014, saying that whenever we can, we follow the law. He told that to the to the Congress. So I'm, I'm putting him on the notice that uh, uh, there's another quote, an older quote from 1909. Obedience to the law is demanded, not asked as a favor. And Lois Lerner has said that the IRS doesn't have it to comply with the law or Congress. And she said that in Congress. So, anyway, I have this all out there, and I think I should hit him square between the eyes. So I don't know what you think, but uh, I uh, decided to announce it here today on your show or on your call. Well, I think you have a bad attitude. I do. Yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to cooperate. As Voltaire said way back when, he said that if we're going to argue, let's define terms first. We must define the terms first. So that's what we're doing. I'm just setting base, 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 now the base work or groundwork, so we can have a terms to establish my obligation, authority, liability, and yeah. jurisdiction. And then, and then, that attitude uh, go from there. Okay, thanks, Don. Okay, hopefully that was of interest. Sorry to take up Thank so much time. Thank you very time. much. Oh yeah, yeah, Chris. Take care, brother. You too. Okay, bye. Now, uh, during that, guest seven was kind enough to supply the address to a page of uh, Pete Hendrickson's website, where you'll find him say that. Section 83 is gibberish. He doesn't bother to interpret it, doesn't get into its regulations, doesn't address the fact that the court says Section 83 explains how to tax you. It's just gibberish. So thank you, Guest 7, uh, for helping me expose Pete Anderson for the chimp with the crescent wrench that he is. And Guest 7 also shines as an example of somebody you just can't teach. Uh, I'm uh, repetitious about Section 83 because it's important, but it's just a fraction of my complete 1994 analysis and treatise on the differences between the tax code and the IRS. So they look at me through a keyhole and they think all I do is Section 83 they haven't bothered to listen to all these calls and read my website. And so they're utterly unaware of what I am and, and what I do. And they just jump into the room to throw their poop like a chimpanzee with a crescent wrench and then they ditch the call. That's the, uh, that's the person that you just can't help. They're a victim of the movement. They think they know everything and they're missing out. There's so much power in code pleading, I can't tell you. Now, uh, <coughs> Kurt Riggin, my best friend down there in Colorado, um, in probably 1995, spring of 95, I was introduced to Kurt Riggin, and I told him what I was doing, uh, just tax code analysis, and uh, but I said that the uh, the courts, you can't get anywhere in federal court on tax law. Uh, they'll penalize you for asking. And so I'm uh, kind of interested in state law. Is okay, for state law, here's the Washington State Revised Code, the RCW, Revised Code of Washington. These are the court rules. Here's the title on motor vehicles. Here's the state constitution. And that's all you'll ever need. And so everything the Patriot Movement teaches, you just put it in this box, close the lid, stick it in the attic in the dark corner, and never look back. And I never did. It was the most important seminar I ever attended. And it was a five-minute discussion in his living room. And I never looked back uh, regarding state law. I had already turned off the movement regarding tax law in 1992 when all the frivolous filing penalties 
rain down on everybody. I said, I don't need anything like this. And so I, I put the, the anti-tax movement away. And I never looked back. And all the, the dismissals, the uh, abandoned grand jury proceedings, the criminal investigations by the IRS that I've seen shut down, uh, the cops that walk away from the person that they pulled over, all those victories, code pleading, while all the people pleading UCC and sui juris and sovereign citizen to the third power, they go to jail. They go to prison. Now, who's the loser? Guest seven is the loser. So uh, you can't teach some people. You give them a, a spark of information, and they think they're firing on all cylinders when it was actually just a backfire. Uh, there's a million ways to, to analogize it, but the, the, the movement is for losers. They'll always be losers. And I just got, as I stated, and Guest 7 had to have heard this, two weeks ago the IRS concurred with the, 2000, or with the uh, 1996 Talmadge decision. When they know it's a dead end, it leads to 1.83-3G that says the cost or the amount paid is the value of any money or property. And the term any or any property means all of it. And they can't prove that labor is not included in cost. Checkmate. But I just got a 20-year-old decision, the only one they've ever gone on record with, ratified as current by the IRS commissioner itself in tax court in writing. So the answer to Section 83 is not that it's gibberish. That's what Pete Hendrickson says. The answer to it is your labor is not a cost because you didn't buy it before you sold it. When in fact regulation defines cost as any property. And the case law that you'll see on the uh, the federal income taxation page of wevgov.com, I'm going there right now. I enter the website. Over on the left, I click on federal income taxation, and I scroll down to red number three. All property is an amount paid. Blue number one, blue number two, labor is property. Blue number three, the term any means all of it. And look at all of this case law. It's everywhere. Tons of cases that say any means everything. And the government can't come up with their authority to exclude labor for that reason from the amount paid. Checkmate. All done. Uh, look at blue number five. <clears throat> You have the Kreitzer annotation. In blue, it says it is settled that when the law is vague or highly debatable, a defendant lacks the requisite intent to violate it. From 1974 right through uh, 2011, Fourth Circuit. And then right below that, the Melton decision. The tax is imposed by clear language, defendant breath, Here's Section 1, it imposes the tax. Here's Section 61A, gross income means all of it. Here's 6012, you've got to file a tax return. So the tax is imposed by clear language. Well, they didn't mention Section 83, did they? Checkmate. And they can't talk about it. They know they can't talk about it. And so what I'm going to do for a guy that's already contracted with me is move to dismiss or vacate his conviction because the law is vague or highly debatable, proving that because the law is vague, you can't have criminal intent. You can't be willful if the law is vague. <clears throat> anyway, uh, all the research is done. It's just a matter of processing his evidence that he didn't believe he had a duty and then hitting him with the fact that they can't talk about Section 83. Checkmate. That's who I am. That's what I do. It's code pleading, and that's all it is. And it's where I've seen the best results out of anything. 
code pleading. So uh, there are people that will follow Pete Hendrickson to the into prison, <laughs> and for somebody to know that some of his people go to prison. James Back, 16 months in prison, six Pete Hendrickson tax returns, making $125,000 a year as an Alieska pipeline technician in Anchorage, Alaska, and he's going to prison for filing Pete Hendrickson tax returns. That's not a winner. And that's what you get when you don't understand statutory interpretation. Pete Hendrickson is not a researcher. He's not an analyst. He's not well-schooled. And he missed a million gold mines in the tax code that I've briefed already as of 1994. So Pete Hendrickson is a puppy compared to me, and uh, he's still the kind of puppy that would that would stick his tongue on a steel pipe outside in sub-zero weather and get burned for it. So uh, my, my teachings, when you see how much there is in the law, how I only rely on the law, you have a, a bird's eye view into real power as a citizen. You don't have any power until you know statute. Because until you're arguing statute, they'll paint you as some moron out there with some crazy, wackadoodle tax protester theory. And as soon as you argue statute, you're a whistleblower. It changes your persona. And that includes the motor vehicle, uh, motor vehicle code also. When you're arguing statute, you're a whistleblower. The motor vehicle code hasn't been written to apply to travelers. It's only been written to those uh, using the uh, highways as a place of business. I didn't argue that I have a right to travel. I pointed out that they've never written a motor vehicle code to apply to travel. Totally different argument. And as soon as you're arguing statute instead of constitutional theory and sticking up for your rights, you're a whistleblower and not a constitutional theorist. And it's a lot harder to, for them to libel or slander or paint with a, a broad brush somebody arguing strictly statute. He's arguing that the law doesn't apply to him, Your Honor. Not all law. If I break somebody's arm, if I burglarize a house, there's laws that say I've done wrong. Assault, residential burglary. I'm arguing that this law, the Motor Vehicle Code, hasn't been written to apply to travelers. I've gone all the way back to 1915. This is Kurt Riggins' work, and I built upon that in 2006. Uh, in fact, uh, let's go there right now. I'm going to wevgov.com on the left-hand side of the page in the menu column. I type on Motor Vehicle Code, and right here, near the top of the page, indented, Open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. Bing, Yahoo, Google, AltaVista. I click on Google, and on that phrase, I get 1.28 million hits. Open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. It's in the law from coast to coast. So, again, from uh, and on the YouTube channel, click on YouTube too. There's a motor vehicle uh, code tutorial. It's mostly about Washington State, but it tells you how to do the research in your state. You go to your first motor vehicle code, you're going to find very restrictive definitions for the first motor vehicle code, and it's going to, uh, it's going to say that uh, motor vehicle only applies to those using the streets as a place of business or transportation for hire. And you'll see the Washington State statutes in that tutorial and on the webpage of wevgov.com for motor vehicle code, you'll see it only applied. There were three reasons the roads exist for the government in the conduct of its business and duties. Number two, for transportation of goods, commodities, or persons. And number three, for travel or communication between different localities and communities. And then you look at the definition of motor vehicle, and it only says, it says motor vehicle is for number two there. 
transportation of goods, commodities, or persons, and it didn't say that it applied to those who are traveling or communicating between different localities and communities. A very restrictive definition. And nowhere has the state legislature broadened the definition or the scope of the motor vehicle code. Nowhere, ever. So I'm arguing not that I have a right to travel. I'm arguing that the code they're using against me, the motor vehicle code, has never been written to apply to me. That's a statutory argument, and it's about racketeering and extortion. It's not about um, uh, I am commercial. It's about the fact they know I'm not commercial, they know all of this, and they choose to misenforce it against me to steal my money. Totally different argument. That's the power of code pleading. You've become a whistleblower instead of a constitutional theorist. So it's so important to lift yourself out of the movement, the patriot movement. Uh, And it comes back again to what I started off by saying is that until you have my work, your letters aren't going to look as good as they could. You may not even know how yet to write a motion. And yet you might be studying the movement for years and years and nobody's ever told you how to use Microsoft Word to format your documents so they look better than everything the prosecutor writes. You don't have somebody out there teaching you. Uh, Here's several different formats for state and federal criminal complaints. I've got a course on how to write and file citizens' criminal complaints on wevgov.com. The drive-by litigation course, how to prepare to sue a municipality using criminal complaints to the state and fed and claims for damages to the bean counters for the county or city that you're going to be suing. How to set them up so that it makes it real easy for your attorney to sue having framed all the tough questions already and push their buttons already. Um, There's a flash drive with videos on it, three hours, 45 minutes of instruction in seven segments where I explain my entire 1994 treatise on the differences between the tax code and the IRS. And if you're, if somebody's explaining the tax code to you and they're, they're not using a whiteboard, they don't know what they're talking about. You have to diagram the whiteboard uh, on a whiteboard. There's a mechanical operation and the intera- interaction between in a relationship between the different chapters they use to impose taxes. I'll teach you how the taxes are supposed to be imposed by the law and show you the difference between the law and what they actually do to your paycheck. They're two entirely different things. And on just Section 83 alone, and I think I covered this last week on this call, it's uh, my manual on Section 83 is called Code Breaker, the Section 83 Equation. It breaks the code. You have a Chapter 1 provision, Section 83, that applies to all compensation. That means it applies to Chapter 21, FICA, wages, because Social Security is an income tax. It applies to Chapter 2, self-employment earnings, because Chapter 2, Social Security, self-employed, that's an income tax. And Section 83 explains how to tax compensation in other chapters. So they've always been stealing Social Security by depriving you of the provisions of Section 83. So you have a Chapter 1 provision that reaches out into other chapters. And until you know Section 83, you don't know this dynamic of the code. And if somebody doesn't know Section 83, they can't claim to know anything. Oh, I know a bunch about tax code, but I don't know anything about the statute that explains how to tax you. Well, how stupid is that? That's Pete Hendrickson, Adele Weiss, Mark Stevens. The list goes on and on and on. Clear through the movement. If you don't know about Section 83, you have to proclaim that you're ignorant of the statute that explains how to tax the recipient of compensation for services. And that's not an expert. And they got websites, curriculums, and they badmouth me out there when they don't know the first thing about a paycheck. Section 83 explains how to tax your paycheck. Fifth Circuit, 1992. And Goodmanson versus Commissioner, Second Circuit, 2011. Uh, 2007-19, 
internal revenue ruling. So uh, my feet are totally on the ground and all of my weapons are code pleading and all my tactics are in the box, but they're tactics you don't see anybody else using. Uh, so as long as you don't have my materials, your letters won't look as good. You won't learn to write a criminal complaint. No one else is even teaching it out there. But I've got dozens of examples that come in Microsoft Word in my courses, and so you don't have to create one from scratch if you wanted to use mine as templates. You look at a particular paragraph I've written, and you say, what did this do for this complaint? And then you reword it to do the same thing for your case. I, if I was going to write a criminal complaint, I'd probably copy and paste one right out of that course and then make amendments to it to fit the state or federal statutes under which I was uh, alleging misconduct against public servants mostly, but it'll work for somebody to burglarize your home or hit and run on your vehicle or uh, floated a check on you that was bad, whatever. Whatever crime has been committed, state or fed, I would go to one of those complaints, copy and paste it into my new folder that I'm using for a new case, and then make amendments. Because I know already it's perfectly formatted, it looks really nice, it looks better than anything the prosecutor is going to file, and I'm rolling. I'm on the offense. I don't play defense. You play defense until they screw up, and then you immediately switch to offense. Nobody else teaches this. So uh, the materials on wevgov.com are top-notch, and there's plenty of people on this call and otherwise. You listen to uh, some of these archived calls on 87488, and uh, you'll hear people chime in from time to time with uh, great comments, uh, tr uh, beautiful accolades about the quality of my work and my materials. A couple of questions, Chris, and then let's call it a night. Okay, um, and and again for those uh, guest five and guest eight, I'm gonna I'm 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 going to unblock you, and um, the reason I block guests is because uh, like guest seven snuck in, dropped dropped a little dirt, and then left, <laughs> and because they can't handle the rebuttals. Um, so if you have any questions, please feel free to ask a question. Uh, if you want to continue coming to the calls, please get a username. That way, um, yes. I, that way I can report people to to talk to you and find out who the corporate corporate. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Anyhow, is there any guess? Uh, if you're on the phone, hit star eight. If you're on the uh, text, go ahead and write your question in. And um, there was one question about the CFR, uh, and I wrote it down wrong, and then I corrected myself. It is uh, 31 CFR 0.207, and that's where they have to, you know, be honest in their questions. You also want to look up 208. All right, is any questions? Comments, statements. Um, you know, we've had a uh, we had a few sales this week for the flash drive, and surprisingly enough, one guy's been on the list for probably eight years, and he's finally he's finally got it where he's getting the flash drive. Okay, uh, Christopher, go ahead. Christopher? Yes, I'm not sure how well my phone's going to connect. One of the Dave stuff, it starts off with the basics, just like how to format your pleading paper. One of the distinctions between that and just typing something out, it makes such a big difference in how it's presented. When you go step one all the way through, when he references Supreme Court cases, they're not his opinions. He's asking the courts and the, or the Internal Revenue, here's what the Supreme Court says. So how am I wrong? It's not, you know, not your opinion. This is the Supreme Court says this is how it is. So, you know, follow the law. This is what you're allowed to do. Don't do anything extra. Well, you know, that's a good point you make. You know, people want to argue their theories. You know, I'm not, I'm the man of the land and all that. 
and 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 there's nothing really to back it up except what you believe and what you believe uh people pave their way to hell with good intentions whereas when you use a a supreme court case and you're talking to the irs now you you separated yourself hey i'm just following the supreme court are you saying they're wrong and it changes the whole argument, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, their argument's not with me. Their argument's in uh, the Supreme Court cases that I use and appellate cases. And we're talking 4,000 appellate and Supreme Court cases that I've read. You know, I've been in this since 1988. And uh, it just happens that the earliest research I did, it was a steady diet of case law for the first four years and I was studying how to interpret tax law through these Supreme Court and appellate decisions. And so my feet were put firmly on the ground to begin with. At the same time, I was uh, consulting with people that had IRS problems, and when they said the IRS did ABC to me, I would go to the tax code and find the statutory authority for the IRS to do A, B, and C. And a lot of times I found that there was a, a very small window of authority and opportunity for the IRS to do what they did and that they exceeded it in a lot of ways. And uh, I found several key regulations that changed the shape of the tax code into the IRS. We wouldn't even be dealing with the IRS if they complied with the tax code. So uh, the videos, I can't underscore heavily enough the importance of having the flash drive with those video segments on it. In seven segments, I go from the basics in uh, basic principles is the name of the first segment, and the seventh segment is tax code from the ground up, where I just sprint right through a total description of my entire 1994 treatise, barely using notes in front of a group of students here in Seattle, small group. Uh, You'll get a study guide. You print off the study guide put a staple in the upper left-hand corner of it, and it contains the text of all the provisions relied upon. So when I say, and then tax code section uh, 3402, what number is that on the list? And John out in the audience, he'll go, "Uh, that's provision number 21 on the list. And so you thumb through your list to provision number 21, and there's the text of the statute I'm talking about. So there's a list of provisions I rely upon. You'll have the text of it, and I'm writing down the name, the number of the statute on the board. And when I get through with that video segment, you've seen a, a rocket scientist fill up a chalkboard with equations and symbols and all that. That's what my whiteboard looks like. It's full of numbers of statutes and regulations. By the time I get done explaining tax code from the ground up, to show you all the tricks they did. I start with statute. Here's what we would deal with if all we had was statute. Then I show you the regulations and elements of misenforcement that they perform, and they end up with the IRS in everybody's life when the IRS should be in a closet in Washington, D.C. The video is really where you should start. Get Codebreaker, the Section 83 equation. We've lowered the price on that. And uh, I've also got a a book I don't talk about much. I just put it out, the uh, No Confidence, Civil Liberties versus Homeland Security. It's a book of citizens' initiatives, more than 110 proposed statutes I'd like to see on the books that I wrote, mostly in 2003, but I added a bunch to them in the last few months and published that. It's also got uh, probably about a dozen proposed constitutional amendments that uh, we could really use. Uh, it's a great deal at 25 bucks. So uh, just look at those materials, listen to a few of these calls, and uh, you'll see that I've got a lot more political power than people in the movement. And it's because I understand code pleading, statutory interpretation, and criminal complaining. Okay, Skagamite, uh, I'm going to bring you in. And Don, Skag- Don look, look at your uh, Skype. Okay. Skip. Skagamite. It's Skagit, Mike. Oh, Hi, Dave. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Mike. Good. Um, 
I just thought I would comment a little bit about um, guest seven things, and it, it, it kind of actually even flows into the uh, the last person's comments there. Um, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to make these arguments for uh, for Pete Hendrickson's uh, perspective, I guess. But you know, those are those are political arguments. If, if you're going to go into court, you have to have law to argue. You've got to have something to stand on. You've got to have something to plead. And I, I'm not familiar with Pete Hendrickson's stuff at all, but, you know, people, that's what Dave Merlin provides. He provides you something that you can plead, something that you can walk into the courtroom with that the judge is going to have to listen to. And, you know, from what I can think about Pete Hendrickson's stuff is that, I mean, they're political arguments. I mean, it's just like Erwin Schiff, you know, he tax doesn't apply to me for this or that or whatever. I mean, yeah, you can you can disagree politically, but the law says this and the law says that. And the courts are going to hold you to what the law says. You know, I'm just yep. voicing my Pete support, Hendrick really. Pete Hendrickson's bottom line is that uh, you're not a uh, federal public servant, and so you don't owe the tax. And... Uh, He's got a couple other spins, and if you knew about Section 83, you'd know that whether you're a public servant or not, the tax code does not impose a tax on the value of labor, see Section 83. And um, also take into consideration that the, uh, the uh, followers of what Pete Hendrickson has done, what he's done is he's caused tens of thousands of people to be leaned and levied into poverty with penalties and interest two and a half years after they file one of his tax returns. He won't talk about that. He won't talk about it. But he'll go out there and he'll sell his book saying, this is the truth. Do this. Look at all these people that have had success. Those are people that the IRS hasn't gotten to yet. What Pete Hendrickson has done with his toilet paper called Crack in the Code, he's kept the IRS busy collecting a bunch of penalties and interest, and he's kept the jail beds full. With any time the DOJ needs it, they can go out there and prosecute somebody that's filed tax returns his way. And the more you listen to my calls, listen to these archived calls. This topic comes up plenty of times. And all he's done is serve to make a lot of money for the government in the form of penalties and interest when he refuses to acknowledge the fact that People have gone to prison and hundreds of marriages have been destroyed by IRS liens and levies that his work has caused. So I'm out here saying start a home business, teach your kids how to run a home business, and it's good for everybody that way. And at the end of the year, you look at the amount you ultimately had to pay to keep the IRS out of your life as the price of admission to the shouting match with your congressman. It's all you can do in America. The law doesn't count. It's in my disclaimer. Nothing is well, none of this none of this is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. It's the disclaimer on all of my calls. So well, be realistic. Be yeah, realistic. You know, Keep yeah, the government out of your life. You don't want a permanent relationship with our government. Go ahead, Mike. I hear you and I understand. You know, if if you don't want the battle, if you're not looking for a fight, you know, stay the heck away from it. Because um, you know you're you're either you're either gonna you know oppose what the government's doing that you believe is not just and true according to our form of government, and then you need to be able to go in and plead that realistically and reasonably in a way that the judge has to listen to, or you know, stay the heck out of it because you're just going to wind up in jail. You're going to wind up getting burned. And, you know, the reality is, you know, it's going to be a battle. And all I would say to guest seven is, you know, don't come in and campaign for Pete Hendrickson. If you've got something that's credible, that's pleadable, that a judge is going to have to listen to, post it. Bring it. But, you know, obviously from what you have laid out, um, you know, his stuff may get people some money back, but in the end, at the end of the day, if 
they pick you out of their pile and you have to go in and plead against it, you're going to lose. I could get you your money back. You file a certain tax return claiming a certain deduction, Schedule B or Schedule C on the line that asks for a, a enumeration of costs. You include a, a Section 83 deduction for the value of your pay and zero out. And two and a half years later, they'll come in and, and screw you to the wall. So I don't do that, even though I know I could. And then I'd have two and a half years worth of people to say, hey, Dave got my money back for me. But then you'd have blogs where people said, I did what Dave said to do. And then now I'm, I'm uh, saddled with $5,000 penalty for every return I filed his way. Dave's not a good guy. Gee, I was stupid to follow him. That's where I'd end up if I said, I'll give you your money back. I could do it. But who would do that to somebody? You got mortgages, marriages, bank accounts, uh, jobs that you'll lose because of me? No, I, I don't play that. Yeah, well. Thanks, Mike. Anyway, I just wanted to chime in. Anytime, buddy. All right, oh, okay. yeah, I, I, I need to get oh, back oh. down there and uh, we'll shoot a foul a little more one of these days. Okay, hold on. The service guy is here, and we're we're about ending the call, so let's go ahead and end the call, okay? Thank you, everybody. Good night. Okay. See you next time. God bless America, and this call is officially over. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.